All right, all right. Welcome to the Cavaships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavaships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. Coming up, we've been on the road to the Navy League's three-day Sea Air Space Symposium just outside of Washington, D.C., and to Norfolk. We'll dive into what we saw and heard and also review some of the week's other naval developments. But first, a look at this week's naval news. China continued major sea and air activity all around the independent island country of Taiwan, peaking between April 8th and 10th with what China called Joint Sword Security Patrol Exercises. Multiple ships and aircraft supported by land-based missiles took part, including the carrier Shandong, one of China's two operational aircraft carriers. The Chinese forces were closely watched by Taiwanese forces, with one Chinese video showing a Taiwanese frigate only about a mile from the Chinese ship. The video ended with a statement, the complete reunification of our country will be and can be realized. The U.S. destroyer Milius carried out a Freedom of Navigation, or FONOPS, passage April 10th in the Spratly Islands in the South China Sea. Passing within 12 nautical miles of Mischief Reef, China, as usual, protested the transit, which was similar to other FONOPS by the Milius, on March 24th near the Paracel Islands. The British nuclear-powered attack submarine HMS Audacious returned to His Majesty's naval base Clyde in Faslane, Scotland, around April 7th after a 363-day NATO deployment centered on the Mediterranean Sea. It was the longest cruise to date by any astute-class submarine. A U.S. Navy preliminary investigation found multiple errors made by both ships in an incident last November when the amphibious ship Harper's Ferry and destroyer Momsen were maneuvering in San Diego Bay and were confused as to each other's intentions, causing both ships to stop. While finding fault, the report from the commander of Naval Surface Forces also praised two Harper's Ferry junior officers who, in the midst of confusion, gave decisive orders that avoided a collision. In addition to being visible by to thousands of people around San Diego Bay, the November 29 incident was caught on video by the local San Diego webcam, as seen from its camera atop the Cabrillo National Monument on Point Loma. On April 12th, San Diego webcam announced its camera atop Cabrillo was ordered to be taken down, apparently, as our media colleague Sam Legron of USNI News reported, as a result of Naval Criminal Investigative Service concerns about force protection, although the cameras did not show restricted areas not otherwise widely visible to the public. The aircraft carrier George H.W. Bush, cruiser Leyte Gulf, and destroyer Delbert D. Black passed westbound through the Strait of Gibraltar April 12th after operating in the Mediterranean Sea since late August. Bush, with Carrier Air Wing 7 embarked, is headed for Norfolk, Virginia, to conclude its deployment. USS Gerald R. Ford is slated to deploy in a few weeks to take up station in the Mediterranean, the ship's first full combat-ready deployment. In new ship news, Turkey on April 10th commissioned its new assault ship Anadolu in a ceremony at the CDEF shipyard in Istanbul where it was built. 
Based on a design from the Spanish firm Navantia, Anadolu is the largest warship ever built in Turkey, with a full load displacement of over 27,400 tons and a length of 758 feet. Originally intended to operate U.S.-built F-35B Joint Strike Fighters, that plan was scuttled when Turkey was booted from the JSF program after buying a Russian missile system. The ship now will primarily operate unmanned jet aircraft made in Turkey by Baikar. Also in new ship news, the Royal Thai Navy took delivery of its first Chinese-built Type 071ET landing transport dock named Chang on April 12th at the Hudong Songhua shipyard near Shanghai. The 25,000-ton ship is similar in form, size, and function to the U.S. Navy San Antonio-class LPDs. Eight similar ships are in service with the Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy, or PLAN. The head of the Thai Navy said at the delivery ceremony, the Chang would also be used to support Thailand's first submarine, also under construction in China. And in one more new ship news item, Lockheed Martin and Fincantieri Marinette Marine will christen and launch the littoral combat ship Cleveland, LCS-31, April 15th at Marinette, Wisconsin. The event marks the launch of the last Freedom Class LCS and the last sideways launch of the shipyard, which has long featured spectacular launches where a ship is almost tossed into the waterway, a necessity that, while hard on the hull, is required where there's simply not much room for a more traditional launch. After the Cleveland's launch, Fincantieri will immediately begin construction of a new ship lift capable of lowering a vessel into the water with virtually no structural stresses. The system will first be used for the first of four multi-mission combat ships Lockheed Martin is building at the yard for Saudi Arabia and will be used for all Constellation-class frigates built for the U.S. Navy in Marinette. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. All right, let's move to the discussion portion of the show. As we mentioned in the open, it was a busy two weeks. Um, Chris and I were together up in uh, Maryland, uh, National Harbor, uh, for the Navy League's Sea, Air, and Space Symposium. Uh, Chris, it was great to see you in person. It's also great to see so many of our uh, listeners and guests on the show. Uh, I want to start with kind of what caught your attention uh, what you enjoyed, maybe what you thought um, was missing from the show, um, and just get your overall thoughts. Well, you know these shows are always tough. They're uh, they're big, they're sprawling. This is the this is the largest naval show in the United States uh, every year by far, and um, it's not always news that, that that comes out there. There's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff that's new. Uh, you really have to sort of look for it. I, I mean, you, you always go to these things. People complain. There's no news. Well, they're not, they're not throwing it in your face, but there's plenty of news that's out there. I have to admit, I didn't attend very many panels. Um, I just don't. Uh, it's, people are, are not prone to put, put big news events out there. There were some developments that uh, came out. The CNO made, made some news. Um, other things, um, smaller level stuff came out. Um, but, but overall, uh, there's, there's just so much more to be, uh, I think, found on the floor um, industry is everywhere they're all showing you things that they they're making they're thinking about um, there are innovations everywhere uh, and it, it and you really have to keep walking around and walking around you can walk by something five times and not notice something and suddenly you stop and go my gosh what is that thing um, some of it's big some of it's small uh, one of the interesting things i didn't really notice till third till three days was um, um little um 
UAV that uh, in situ, in situ is a, a subsidiary of Boeing, uh, makes they they're they're famous for making the Scan Eagle uh, unmanned aerial system. It's that's everywhere. It's 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 almost ubiquitous in multinational navies and um, even government many government entities. They make a larger one called the the Integrator. Um, in military services, it was used by the Marines, the RQ-21 Blackjack. Um, they're still trying to market the integrator uh, to a wider wider audience and, and get more use out of it. Um, it's about twice as large as a Scan Eagle. So it's not real big, and, and you can launch it. You, you can carry it and put it together. A couple couple of folks can, can, can put one together, and it's launched usually on this sort of catapult thing. And then, then it's recovered by a... Uh, on a high wire, you string a high wire pretty high, and it's got a little, little hook on the end of the wing, flies into it. Um, they had a whole new contraption; it almost looked like the Borg. They had a had a had, a, had an octocopter, um, kind of usual quad copter UAV thing, uh, but 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 eight uh, eight eight rotors that made it to the top of it, and it would and it can take off vertically. So as a so like on a on a on a ship at sea. They um, showed video of running a test last summer on the destroyer Paul Hamilton up uh, off the northwest coast of uh, the United States. Uh, fairly dirty weather. Um, the 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 octocopter lifts off, drops off the the RQ-21, which are the integrator, which goes off and flies whatever mission it does. The the octocopter returns back to the ship. When it's coming back, they actually string the the, the recovery cable from the quad quad octocopter itself so there's no big 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 post that was pretty interesting that it has enough staying power even in a crosswind in a pretty stiff crosswind to grab grab the integrator when it comes in to, to recover that was different but it's just it was you know it's it, it's not the biggest thing in the world um but there are it's sort of that kind of level of innovation is out there it's there if you can slow down a little bit and uh, and, and look at it Chris, what did you see? I, I did make it to a handful of the panels. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's good to go and listen to Navy leadership. I, I will say, um, you know, we've been pretty critical on here about, um, you, you know, where the knob is on the Rayostat in terms of communicating. Um, I felt like the Navy really tried very hard to get uh, their senior officers, two, three, and four stars out um, to talk to, you know, talk at the panels. Um, spend some time afterwards talking to media um, in uh, in gaggles or or group discussion sessions, and then to spend some time with industry uh, on the floor. So, um, I mean, that is definitely um, appreciated. Uh, I, I particularly enjoyed the um, the N seven RDNA Naval Postgraduate School um, OSD discussion um, about how to, you know, take the money that we're putting into education and actually get it to turn into, you know, some sort of tangible war fighting result, whether that is, um, buying more stuff or whether it's war gaming or whether it's getting people into jobs that better fit them based on the education. I thought that was a really good back and forth and, uh, appreciated that. That's something that, um, you know, previous bosses that I had worked for had spent a lot of time, uh, getting up and moving. And so to see that, uh, come to fruition, uh, was, was really, um, you know, it was gratifying, um, I also enjoyed uh, listening to, I was there for the first half, but, um, you know, our guests from our last regular show, uh, Brian Clark, Brian McGrath, and Jerry Hendricks um, spoke, you know, about what 
uh, to expect on the Hill. Uh, I thought Brian McGrath did a really good job of, you, you know, he's never, uh, never shy, but really aired um, his grievances that he felt like the Navy and Congress needed to hash out. I won't go through all of them, but I'm sure you'll hear him talk about them. And they followed some of the discussion that he had with us. But I thought that was a good discussion because it was, um, you know, the Navy obviously feels very good about um, getting more money as part of the president's budget submission, something that the CNO and the secretary feel like they've worked very hard on. Um, and both Brian's and Jerry did a good job of talking about, okay, now what? Now when this thing goes to the Hill, what should the Hill add? What should the Navy help the Hill add? And then, you know, where do we go from here? So it was uh, kind of the next steps in what will be, I'm sure, a months long uh, budget discussion, as well as uh, as the Navy and DOD build the, the 25 budget. I also enjoyed, like you said, uh, walking the floor really is interesting because we are now, I think this is the time of enablers and the time of um, weapons. It used to be go to these shows and a lot of the light was shined on the shipyards and shined on the big primes. Um, and they certainly have a, a major presence, as you mentioned, with Boeing and, and you know, the things that Boeing is showing. But I really felt like the, the game uh, demonstrated by the smaller uh, guys and gals um, is is really great, uh, and I, I look forward to going to these types of shows, whether it's surface navy or in this case here in space, to learn more about um, those uh, those small, whether it's weapon systems or uh, as you talked about UAVs or or you know unmanned systems. So um, yeah, and and you know it was it was really good to see folks that I I hadn't seen for for a while. I mean, I, as I said, the the navy the folks in uh, uniform were really feeling good. Um, I think they were feeling good again about the budget. They were certainly feeling good about the 60 minutes piece. Right. Um, and they felt like they, they brought their A game to the show. Um, so there was a positivity um, that I hadn't seen or felt um, for a few years. There was, uh, I, I won't, I won't give them the A team effort yet, um, but a, a game effort yet, but it was certainly better. It was better than SNA service Navy association in January. Um in terms of briefings, you know, they were still fell short uh, the kind of things that, that we're used to in the past. This is a big showcase for um, uh, NAV Air and NAV C, uh, Naval Air, Air Aviation Administration, um, and uh, Naval, C, Naval Air Systems Command and Naval Sea Systems Command. Um, this is when they can talk about a lot of their programs and really, really give meat, more meat. Um, to the discussion that's going to take place over the coming year, and especially in terms of the budget, um, there weren't too many good. Uh, really, there were there were definitely nav air briefings. Um, there were some programs you really wished we, we had a specific briefing on, like, like the MQ twenty five, the uh, unmanned carrier based uh, jet refueler where is that uh what's going on with that um and that where, that was some news there right i mean the fact that it it was going to slip another year i, I don't remember year. that that had been announced it, it, it could have been but I, I wasn't tracking that so there was a little news there um i mean that that is certainly uh disappointing on, on a lot of fronts uh to, you know to hear that they didn't really explain it though i mean it's a, yeah. a lot of people going what why what's going on right um and you know they you know, again, no news is usually not good news. Um, <laughs> they were they uh, very publicly put out a lot of images uh, when that aircraft made its first uh, first aerial refueling connections. Um, 
but that's been some time now, a couple of years, I think. And um, we've heard nothing since, and that's usually not a sign that good things are happening. Um, on the on the ship side, there were definitely there there were briefings from uh, the carrier program and the frigate program and unmanned, um, the big and and also the spy six radar program. The the big developments there, I suppose, were in the carrier program. Um, these recent decisions have been made to build uh, the carriers uh, CV and eighty and eighty one the Enterprise and Doris Miller, um, almost sim simultaneously, but yeah. one right after another in the same graving dock um, at Newport News. This is much more ambitious than before. It's, a, it's an enormous graving dock. Um, it, you can actually put two aircraft carriers in it, um, but they usually partition it. They, they build them at, at the, you know, the land side of it and um, put a partition and they can still use the RN. In this case, they're going to partially build uh, at some point when the enterprise is not really a big full hull yet they're going to seal it up float it move it forward um pump the water back out put the case on in the middle the partition and then build the doris miller behind it this is this is this is really a big jump um big i mean new newport news is excited they're still starting to roll it out um at the at the at the show in terms of some animations to show how this is going to work pretty pretty big deal um this is this is this is really is a big jump yeah um, we we've got their uh, program manager uh we you know spent both of us spent some time with him we've yeah. got that interview in the can that we'll bring to uh, the audience here yeah. in the next couple of weeks um, so yeah that was news that was exciting to hear it was as a matter of fact really interesting really exciting um that 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 that, that is a big deal and frankly somewhat unexpected um frigate program seems to be on on course um, the talk there was really about uh, the last year's uh, NDAA, the uh, Defense Authorization Act, requires the, the Navy to add Tomahawk and SM-6 missiles into the armament of the ships. That won't be done for the, at least the first couple of ships, mostly because mm -hmm. at this point um, that would involve too many changes. And as right. anybody, anybody who's familiar with Navy shipbuilding programs knows, uh, putting in Putting in the, the, the next greatest idea um, into the production line is, an, is inevitably a recipe for disaster. It's always going to make things worse. So it's better really to just, um, and this is from painful experience, to just right. deliver the ship as ordered or pretty much without, without, without major changes. And then after the ship is, is delivered, at some point you go back and put this in after the fact. That's, that, that, that's confirmed what's going to happen, at least for the for the first frigate, probably this, probably a second one. Um, you you heard from the program manager, and then we talked to Mark Vandroff. Right. Do, do you get the sense that there's a shoe to drop in the next couple months, a year, or do you feel pretty good about where this program is? I mean, they certainly are on glide slope by all indications. Uh -huh. uh, is it is it just the nervous Nelly and me that you, you know sort of worried that uh, we're, you know as time goes on we're going to run into I guess rough water. Well, they, they will. I mean, any, any, any program does, that's why you got to manage it. But at the moment, I don't, I don't see a deal breaker at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. And that this is, this is the kind of thing, this, this sort of thing in the past, uh, it, it is, it takes so long to design a ship, to approve a ship, write requirements, design it, and then build it that inevitably people come up with, you know, better ideas. Why don't we do this? As long as we're building, right. we should do this. And, you know, if, if you don't have to actually do it yourself, it usually sounds like a pretty darn good <laughs> idea. It does. 
but but if you're down on the on the deck plates so to speak um trying to install all this stuff and make changes it, it really does disrupt things right and i mean it, you know the, the 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 classic um almost almost the ultimate of this uh, example of this was the san antonio class lpds the ship was uh, just the subject of virtually um, almost daily definitely weekly changes going down to um um english shipbuilding and um from from the navy about do this change this change this spec reader and it was it was an absolute mess it was it was just nothing like it i mean a, a, a real honest to goodness fiasco but you just can't do that kind of thing and you know the the submarine service has tried came, came up with a, an idea uh, for the virginia class submarines as a result of that like with a combat system so they they have a whole combat system kit that's only out there really to just prove the ship's reliability and does it work prove it out for delivery for trials and delivery but it's not the latest and greatest and there's a post ship post shakedown availability a shipyard period that's scheduled where the submarine goes back into the yard and they take all that stuff out and it's actually a kit they'll i'm not sure they're still doing it but they but for a while they would they, they would put it back on the next new submarine and then the latest and greatest systems would be installed on the ship right but but it let them build the submarine first and and everything that went in an upgrade had had to go in without major alterations and it worked much 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 better than trying to introduce these things online so i don't see that yet on this in the frigates early days early days mm -hmm. but i don't see it yet um pretty good so speaking so, of speaking of ships um you know as uh, a tradition has become that whenever we do these shows you and uh, a group of other media tend to break off and uh, right. you, you try very hard to, whether it's in San Diego or in this case, Norfolk, to spend some time uh, on the waterfront. You, you did that again this time. You went down to uh, Norfolk Naval Station and the surrounding areas. Uh, tell us a little bit about that trip. We had one really magnificent day where it was summer and the next two days were back to winter, 40 degrees colder and a dirty, dirty, dirty day. Outside of that, uh, waterfront is always good. Uh, we go, we go down with uh, the three folks from the USNI news team, uh, our friend Xavier Vavasseur of Naval News from France, and um, you know, see what we can see, look at things, uh, go in the base, visit some people, talk about talk about what we're uh, things that are going on. It's not an agenda-filled trip; it's an information trip. So it was good stuff. Um, two things stuck out at me at the end. What one was in the base. Um, USS Gettysburg CG-64 is a cruiser um, the ship has been out of service for eight years um, was taken out as one of one of seven cruisers put in this in this cruiser modernization program and um, it was absolutely gutted um, the radars were in the all the combat systems were, were removed the engines were removed it was a dead ship it looked awful looked terrible had a crew of maybe three dozen people uh, who did not live on the ship. Um, and after major effort, um, modernization work at BAE systems down there, um, the ship is just about ready to be redelivered. Um, amazingly, I mean, truly back from the dead. Um, there's another one, uh, the Chosen on the West Coast is uh, nearing completion also up at Vigor uh, Shipyard in Seattle. 
um, they're about to come back. Uh, the contrast is with, uh, of those seven ships, three have already been decommissioned, stricken, and towed away by the Navy, and they're, they'll never see, see um, active duty again. Two more are being uh, refurbished. One is Calpins, CG-63 out of, out of San Diego, and the other one is Vicksburg, CG-69, still at Norfolk. And the contrast on this trip between uh, Gettysburg, which looks really ready to go, just, to, I mean, any day now, uh, they'll they'll redeliver it. And the Vicksburg, which is still, after seven years, um, covered in scaffolding and um, other coverings, nowhere near coming coming back. Um, the Navy wants to decommission it and, and get rid of it. Um, Congress is uh, pushing back on that by name, said don't do it, um, mostly because they've spent probably half a billion dollars close to it um, on, on this ship and still a long way from being complete. Do you finish it or do you just, just cancel it? Either, either decision is a terrible decision, but um, there's, there's a big contrast there. The other question I had was the, where are the Mark six patrol boats? These are uh, a dozen um, really nice new high-speed, heavily armed patrol boats that the Navy built, um, all delivered between 2015, 2017. Um, actually, uh, which, which were one, one requirement was to fill a, a requirement out of the Persian Gulf to escort, uh, escort high-value ships in and out of the Strait of Hormuz. Um, the Navy decided that, uh, once again, uh, the, uh, a Navy that, that supports big ships does not support little ships for very long so they've gotten rid of all of them and uh, they were they were stored nine of them were stored last year at a facility in newport news i went by there they were gone oh my gosh where'd they go um found them at um uh um, colonas another shipyard in norfolk so i don't know what the plans are for those ships or there were nine three three others are out in the san diego area um 18 have been funded for Ukraine, and that was a deal that was the same kind of uh, ship from the same builder. That was a deal that was done before uh, Russia invaded last February, a year ago. Um, I have no idea what the future holds for these, for, for those craft, probably FMS, but uh, it was it was fun just to see them. So we got to move on. Let's, let's move uh-huh. on to this San Diego webcam. Oh yeah. my gosh. So I, I, I alluded to this in the in the um, news um, portion, uh, where last November, this is this is an operation. As 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 people know, there are many harbor cams all over the world. Um, you know, Panama Canal, um, lots of harbors, and lots of naval harbors for that matter. And there's a, there's a couple couple folks on the on the interwebs that uh, um, kind of spend most of, probably way too much time scanning these things and, and putting up pictures from them. Um, San Diego webcam has been around for a few years. They have several cameras around the harbor. Um, they have one atop um, the Cabrillo National Monument, National Park Service, and their building that's on top of Point Loma. Um, that camera, it does bother the Navy. Um, I've heard complaints from, from Navy folks for, for, for quite a while about, you know, they're watching us. On the other hand, everybody's watching it. So you're, you pass right by downtown San Diego. Um, there's another guy who's got an apartment and takes pictures right out of his apartment and posts them. Um, so I don't know. Um, what do you think, Chris? 
So I'm not surprised by the decision. I, I do know that the it it has bothered the Navy for a while. I'm kind of surprised it took this long for NCIS to find a way to voice their concern. As you mentioned at the top, it was part of the uh, near mishap investigation of those two ships. And um, you know, if you uh, if you buy into what uh, Sam's reporting says, that that was the impetus for it. Um, so. You know, I, I was surprised at the outcry uh, um, that I saw on social media from people like yourself that, you know, really look forward to um, seeing this type of uh, imagery um, and tracking ships as they go in and out. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I take it for granted as somebody that, you know, sees this stuff all the time or saw this stuff all the time. I sort of thought a lot of these cameras were kind of ho-hum, but I mean, there really is an entire following, as you said, uh, for a lot of these Harbor cams and the San Diego was certainly towards the top of that list because of the great imagery that you got because of how close the ships come to, um, you know, the Coronado and the uh, San Diego side. Um, so I, I think it's just the beginning. I think you're going to see more and more uh, of this from the Navy as they really take force protection and in their minds, OPSEC very serious. Um, and, and so, uh, I, I don't, I, I think this, like I said, I think this is just the beginning. It is. It probably is. I have to say from my side of the world, it's, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's any security concern. You're, you know, there's, there's nothing secret about San Diego Bay. There's a great big city that's by it. There's tons of marinas by it. There's tons of traffic all over the place. That's a national park where this camera was. People go up there and hang out all day. Um, for my money, it's not a security issue. It's an awareness issue. And anything that promotes awareness that the Navy is out there and moving around and doing things, I think is a good thing. Um, even, even, even in a big harbor, you know, ships come and go. People don't necessarily notice them unless they notice two that are stopped looking at each other, <laughs> which probably does provoke um, a lot of attention. But um, I, I'm, I, I, it, it strikes me that, 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 that security concerns are probably overblown and um, not, not, not really justified, but well, then, more of an excuse for, to, to avoid this kind of embarrassing thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge will be, and this kind of segues into the last thing that we want to talk about, but the right. challenge will be as... Uh, the Navy grapples with what they believe are very real operational security issues like cameras and um, like announcements of when ships deploy or when they will deploy. They don't, um, they don't do that though. They, 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 they try to be pretty careful about that. No, I mean that, I guess that's my point. I mean, we've seen over time, um, you know, less and less information shared about that um, for reason, for good reasons, in my opinion, but for reasons of operational security, especially in the Pacific, um, and, and as some of this uh, other imagery goes away, um, there will be a need to fill that space and look for ways to share information uh, with, with the broader public, whether that's through fleet weeks, whether it's through Navy weeks, whether it's through museums. Um, and I know you have some thoughts on, uh, you know, the, the the Navy museum concept that was rolled out this week. Yeah. So, right. So the Navy, so for those who, haven't made it to Washington, D.C. and inside the Washington Navy Yard for many, many years. Uh, the Navy maintains the Naval Historical Center, History and Heritage Command, uh, maintains the official Navy Museum, Navy Memorial Museum is the full word, um, in what used to be the breach uh, building for the old Naval Gun Factory down at the Washington Navy Yard. And since 9-11, public access to that has been pretty rough. 
uh, you can get in people, real, you know, normal, non-military people with no more than a driver's license can get in, but it, but, it, but, but it's painful. You can't park there. Um, you have to, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it's not easy. And um, not, not, not surprisingly, uh, attendance at the museum has precipitously dropped off. Um, I have to admit, I've been, I've known this museum my entire life from when I was a little kid. Um, my father was um, Naval Reserve and uh, the, the uh, officers club down there was a fun place to eat. It was a treat to go down there when it was a Naval gun factory. And, and I remember that museum very, very well. Um, there's been a dream, especially since 9-11. How do we do this? How do we, how do we restore access to the public? Um, all the services have grappled with this. The Air Force already has a museum out in the uh, um, in Ohio, that um, is is open to the public. It's not. It's next to a naval, next to Wright Patterson Air Force Base, but not on the base. And you can get you can drive there. Um, the Marines, of course, uh, came up with their own museum in uh, Quantico, Virginia, right next to uh, I ninety five. Um, it's a new museum. It's a fantastic museum. It's um, if you've never been there treat yourself stop off on the when you're stuck in traffic on 95 just pull over and enjoy a couple hours it's full of marines the marines make it a make it a living museum it's a fantastic museum um the army has a new museum um down here near uh, fort belvoir that's also on public land i've not been yet i hear it's great yeah um, great museum and uh you know so this this is a problem the navy is absolutely totally completely lagging in all this uh, the Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola, which is the, supposedly the best naval museum in the world, is almost entirely off limits to the public. It's on it's on base property. It's hard to get in. Um, nobody sees that stuff. Um, I think it's as far as I know, there's no plan to make that make that accessible to the public. No, I, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, there, there are plans for, for that. I mean, um, it, it used to be more accessible. Um, and then when COVID hit, uh, right. They tightened right. everything down. Right. So they are trying very hard, I think, to, you know, that the right. foundation down there is working hard to make that happen. I talked to him last year and it was like nothing was happening. Um, anyway, maybe so. I hope so. I certainly hope so. But the, so anyway, the Navy has been trying to do this. But every 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 step of this Navy Museum development has just seemed to take for for freaking ever. I mean, it's a too many people involved. I'm sure too many entities. Everybody wants a pass. It's hard to do these things. It's hard to get people to agree. They finally, you know, identified a location, which if you had gone by 20 years ago and said, what can we do outside the perimeter? You just said, how about we put it there? Well, it took them, you know, 15 years to decide, I guess we'll put it there. We're so proud of ourselves. We're coming up with that. Well, duh. Um, the whole Navy Yard area down there is completely revitalized. This is where National Stadium is. Uh, department transportation is down there it's a much different area than it was 25 30 years ago entirely different um great access from metro everything but um the location was kind of obvious they took them forever to decide that um now we had a competition for for designs that's what was just rolled out this week was five concepts theoretically one one of those will become the naval museum but this is they keep making it sound like something's happening and it's just all these iterations take forever. They don't have the funding. Um, they've been unloading, moving stuff out of the existing Naval Museum is largely empty. I mean, I think I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been down there lately, but, but I have friends who work there and, and from what I hear, 
it's it's at least two thirds empty now. They're just pack, packing things up in anticipation of the move, which is still years away. Um, it's just really frustrating that um, you'd kind of like to see this happen. And again, this is all awareness. This is this is the whole idea of these museums. Not the whole, but un, an underlying theme of all of them is to appeal to the soldiers, the airmen, and the sailors, and the Marines of the future. Is that this is something that's been going on? There's a continuity here. Is this something you'd like to be a part of? Come and talk to us. Um, the Marines are. I mean, it's, it's they don't they don't sugarcoat it at all. It's like if you can handle it, come and talk to us. Right. Um, I mean, well, really, I mean, one one place that's not off limits is the Navy Memorial. Um, and you know, right. given the limited space that that they have, um, they they always do a great job. So, you know, if you need to get your Navy fix while they continue to figure this museum thing out, get over to the Navy Memorial. That's a good point. That's a blessing, good time. The blessing of the fleet ceremonies tomorrow as right. we speak. Okay, that's it. We talk too much. I talk too much. We're going <laughs> to stop talking. We're going to wrap it up. So, folks, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. And the Cavishes podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is the designer and operator of the U.S. Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest LVC enterprise in the U.S. Department of Defense. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavish. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Hey.